Happy holidays, everybody. This is the B-side for the film stage. Here, as you know, we talk about movie stars and movie directors. Not the movies that made them famous or the movies that kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And we just want to once again give a big old happy holidays to all of our listeners all you out there who've been with us this year last year all of the years as we've been figuring this thing out having fun getting new and exciting guests um connor this is an exciting one this has been a nice little run we talked to alessandro Novola recently and today we speak briefly with director dion taylor who what he's given us as as you're listening if you're listening uh near to the publishing of this Currently, his new movie, Fatale, is out in theaters and available on VOD, starring Hilary Swank and Michael Ely. Um, we got a chance to chat with him. He came on the podcast, talked about Fatale, talked about some of his other movies. He makes Fatale is basically a throwback thriller of sorts that's mm-hmm. updated in a lot of different ways, which we kind of love. We love those types of movies. We talked about a decent amount of them already on this podcast. Um, he loves those movies. Um, movies like The Intruder, which we mentioned. Movies like Black right. and Blue. He's also directed. Um, and yeah, I just it felt like a he felt like the right type of person to speak to about his work for this podcast because even if. Fatal isn't technically a B-side of his and and whatnot. He's still kind of early on in his career. They fit they fit the wide definition of what B-sides can be. And yeah, he's sort of and we mentioned this in our conversation, which you'll hear, but he's just sort of one of the only filmmakers that's like prolifically making these kinds of movies. And I think in our uh, in, you know, in all of our episodes, when we bring up various different b-sides a lot of them fit this mold right like just of like adult skewed entertainment that's you know low to mid budget but uh but released wide and 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 sort of is treated specifically cinematically um that's sort of why i think this conversation with dion is is kind of a a fun one to to slide in here to kind of cap off the year with yeah, no, I totally agree. And yeah, I mean, look, we'll, we'll jump right into the interview. Basically, we talk about a lot of different things. We try to cover as much as we can kind of in our in our window um, of 25 minutes or so. So, yeah, please enjoy. Um, and without further ado, here is our interview with Dion Taylor. Look, I have a marriage to protect. You're afraid I'm going to expose you to your wife? It wasn't a robbery. Can you think of anyone who might want to harm you? Friends? Family? Or a woman you screwed? And discarded? All right, so we are here, myself and Connor, with Dion Taylor, who we're excited to speak to when we were kind of talking with everybody about, about speaking to you. I think... Um, so you have a, a, new, a new movie coming out called Fatale with Hilary Swank and Michael Ely and uh, me and Connor are able to watch uh, over the weekend. And not surprisingly, because we've talked about your films before in our podcast, um, it does the, it delivered exactly kind of what we love about, you know, black and blue and traffic and um, and the intruder recently, which is like these are movies that just aren't made a lot anymore. And when so when you get them. You know, cause, you know, with the B side on the B side, we talk about movie stars and movie directors. Yeah. 
not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And I think when we go into the 90s, let's say, and we talk about like, oh, let's talk about Ray Liotta's B-sides. We'll talk about unlawful entry, right? And it's like, <laughs> you'll, you'll get some B-sides in this thriller mode where it feels so comforting now to watch these movies and it, you're like the only one doing it. So I just, if you want to like, we can just start with that. Well done. <laughs> no, yeah. Thank, thank you, man. Um, <clears throat> I just, you know what? I'm just a fan of the nineties, man. I think, um, you know, that's funny, man. I love for entry. I love that film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I just, I like movies, man. You know, when I was younger, um, I grew up in a, in, in Chicago, man. And, you know, obviously, no money and trying to figure life out. My mom was working multiple jobs. Film always represented escapism. Um, I always felt like when you go to the movies, it's for you to get away or to, you know what I mean? To lose everything that you're thinking about when you walk in. Yeah. And um, as I got older, you know, obviously with the grind of life, when I had an opportunity as an independent filmmaker to make a film, um, I wanted to do that. Like I wanted to do something. Where I'm like, damn, this would be crazy if you're in the theater. You know what I mean? And and what's interesting is that kind of reflects back to the '90s. You know what I mean? Like all of those films. You know, I mean, look, Fatal Attraction. You know, all of them that you're thinking about are like classic films that hit at the right time where right. they broke all the rules. Yeah. No, and I think I mean we can let's start with Fatal because that's that's if you're listening now that's out um and we should just kind of so I wanted to give you a shot so so um I know there was there's a a buy one get one free promotion you have going on I want you to mention and also another cool thing attached to Fatal which is the cinema safe thing which is COVID related with yeah. the precautions so if you want to just kind of talk about those things and then we'll talk about Fatal a little bit and kind of then connect it to you know the other more recent stuff. Uh, be great yeah well obviously we're in the middle of a global pandemic yeah. <laughs> what you don't say <laughs> yeah man have you guys heard mm -hmm. like we're no we're, like, i mean it's crazy man i um i've just been watching all these films and you know all this stuff going to streaming and um our movie actually got moved twice man we were we were supposed to come out in the summertime and i was like going crazy because you know i'm looking at comps for bus benches and, and billboards. I'm going like, oh my God, they finna know I'm hot. Yeah. And um, all, of a sudden, all of a sudden it just went away. And uh, I was like, man, I don't wanna really go to streaming. And then what ultimately happened was <clears throat> there was a break in the schedule where Christmas could happen, but I still wasn't sure about theaters. I, I was like, I don't wanna be the guy telling people to go to theaters because I am an independent filmmaker. So unlike a lot of filmmakers that are <clears throat> Hollywood type guys who just the movies a machine to me I'm have a very personal relationship with people so I learned about this project uh, called cinema safe where basically they ran down and showed me what all the theaters are doing across the country to actually make it safe for people to actually go see movies and once I learned about that I was like wow well, they're pumping the clean air in the theaters they're like at 20 percent capacity oh by the way you can rent out an entire theater with just you and your friends right I was like, are you serious? Like, and they were like, yeah, we do that. I said, well, shit, I'm going to the theater. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I, I would rather, I would rather an audience see my film the way it was meant to be. You know what I mean? If it's safe for you to actually do it. And uh, obviously this film, Fatal, is Dante Spinotti shot it, you know, who did The Insider, Last of the Mohicans. You know what I mean? So I'm like, the cinematography is amazing. So I'm like, it has to be seen in the movie theater. So we're pumping this out, man. And what I am doing opening weekend, which is pretty dope, is 
Uh, if you buy one ticket, I will buy the other one for you for for free. I'm gonna buy it. I'm gonna buy the other ticket for you uh, to go see the movie. And 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 we're also gonna be buying out some theaters. So I'm just really excited about that. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, look, it's one of those. You're totally right. It's a it's a complicated moment because we want movie theaters to you know, to continue. And I think if we can do that in a way that it feels safe, of course, that's, that's the right move. So I think, yeah, the cinema safe um, mention is important in that respect. I mean, yeah. So you mentioned Dante Spinati. So we should just, so fatal, we won't give anything away, obviously, but it's a, it's, it feels like the next logical step in these movies you've been making. Right. So, so you've made a lot of films, like you've mentioned, indie, indie, indie filmmaker, um, in the truest sense of the word, we don't have enough time. It kills me. I wanted, I want to also talk to you about the fact that you played professional basketball. I'm a huge NBA fan, and I was like, "What?" Yeah. But I get. We, let's stick to the movies, unfortunately. But, but, but that is so cool. And but, just, um, to just know that listener that Dion's rise has kind of been this insane, uh, wonderful <laughs> thing. And uh, just do yourself the favor and uh, research it. Yeah, yeah, we we were because we we were like I said excited to talk to you, and then I didn't know that we didn't know that, and I was like, what, you know? Because I'm just I'm like watching the preseason games every night. Like, man, you know, like, Kevin Durant like, looked good last like, night, huh? He, they look great. He looked great. Um, I was blown away. I was, yeah. I mean, they're gonna be good. I think. I mean, but I'm that. just saying the fact that he looked just like Kevin Durant, like that was crazy, right? It's amazing. It's amazing what. Like you remember when that injury was like, well, he'll never play. He'll never, yeah, now. it's like take yeah. him to the morgue. Yeah, that was like take it him is, to the morgue. It is true. It's it is true. But um, so so okay, so Fatal, what you mentioned Dante Spinati, and I think what's so great is it's almost like you're saying to him. I was thinking about this last night watching Fatal. You know, he's obviously worked with Michael Mann, he's made, but he's worked with you a bunch recently, and it's almost like you're like the palette for Fatal is so intense. The colors going on. And you, you're man's palette is always intense, but it's very focused on like, you know, character, whatever blues, let's yeah, say yeah. like in heat, right? It's like blue is the color, right? Yeah. But in Fatal, what I like is you're like, now give me every color depending on the scene, which I think is matches the movie because you're the movie is almost and this is a total compliment, like a greatest hits of like a bunch of different things yeah. that you, we all maybe know. Like my wife was watching last night, like what is happening in this movie? <laughs> and, it, and it feels, and it feels like you kind of got here. Um, and I guess just take a minute and talk about Fatal. I mean, it's a really, it's a really exciting movie. I'll say. Yeah. The movie is, um, look, I, I was, came up with the idea for Fatal a couple of years ago. I came in the house and told my wife, I was like, it's this guy and he goes to Vegas and he has an affair and he comes home and the affair follows him. And she was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and um, that's kind of how it started. And obviously, you know, but since we've been doing this, there has been a lot of throws to the energy of what Fatal Attraction is. You know what I mean? But sure. this is not that movie. You know, it, it has it has an element of it, but it is is something different. And um, what I love about the film the most are the characters. I love that I love characters that have to actually overcome and they're not flawed. You know what I mean? Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone has problems in life. Everyone has to overcome something. So like all the movies, Black and Blue, uh, Traffic, mm -hmm. you know, even The Intruder with Dennis Quaid, like that family had to overcome an evil. You know what I mean? So I just like that 
the overcoming in this film is very, very bright. Like, here's a guy that you actually like, oh, I hate him. And then by the end of the film, you're like, oh, my God, I want him to just, yeah. <laughs> like, what, what is he going to do? You know, and it's like, that's, I love that energy. But what is cool about the film is both characters actually are fighting for something, right? Like, he's in a web and he can't get out. And, you know, she needs something as well. And um, she feels like, hey, you used me. So here's the outcome of that. But Dante is phenomenal in the film in terms of what he does uh, mechanically with the camera. Michael Mann is, a, is, is one of my favorites. Um, <clears throat> but what I try to do is with the lens. You know, I, we normally don't have a lot of money to make these movies, so I really play a lot of uh, energy into the, in terms of, like, tightening. So if you watch the film, the movie opens very wide, very big, very cinematic, um, there's like colors and, and everything is wonderful. It's wor the world is alive. And then ultimately what I try to do in these films is begin to add tension, which is the lenses get smaller mm. and smaller. So by the end of the film, you're in an elevator confined with two people. You know what I mean? So yeah. this is kind of like how I try to approach film and, and ratcheting up the tension. And also I love the left, the, the, the curveball. Like, I think it's very easy to watch a trailer and go, oh, man, I know this movie. This is the same movie as, and, and then you get, what I love doing is watch people watch my films because I try to take left turns. Where they go, well, I didn't think that was going to happen. Sure. You know, and it's just cool that way. I think Fatal is a great audience movie. Um, that's, you know, that's why I make films. I make them for audiences. I make them for people like yourself to go see with your wife. So she's like, what the hell is going on in here? And why yeah. is he... And what they do with that for it, and I just, I think that's why we want to watch film. Um, I mean, there's something to be said to, you know, not only about the audience reaction that you want to garner, but you lay out the patterns of genre, like the ones you're trying to pay homage to here. There's obviously a satisfying nature to those patterns playing out exactly the way that you think they're going yes. to, right? And that's why we all love genre, but just as well are those little audience Oh shit moments, right? <laughs> that you drop in there and uh, and can be really satisfying in their own right. And it's what makes these things uh, a lot of fun. And one thing that I've noticed kind of as we're talking about some of the cinematography here is I really appreciate how these genre movies of yours, they don't feel um they don't have that flat kind of wash over them that um some maybe mid-budget genre movies that would go straight to streaming would have right, right they right, they actually right. look um they actually look like movies right yeah it is a big and difference they don't yeah. look like what a lot of you know prestige television looks like now um they look like movies and even if they're dealing in these sort of campier you know genre elements or whatever um they still you know they still feel like you said um very cinematic. And I think that's really important in these low to mid budget adult thrillers um, to, to sort of set them apart because most of this stuff from a content standpoint is stuff that winds up being an HBO miniseries yeah. or something like that. They don't make specifically movies about this anymore. And I just wanted to say that I really appreciate the work that you've done in making them look and feel like movies specifically. Yeah, I appreciate that, yeah. man. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, look, independently, man, we're making these movies for, you know, $5 million. So, 
I'm stepping out and shooting, you know, these films. This, this movie was incredible because it was shot in L.A. <laughs> in a time where yeah. no one can shoot in L.A. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you got to have a hundred million dollars to shoot in L.A. We're like, ah, I was like, no, I think we can figure this out. And uh, but I, I just look, I love genres. I love jumping genres, which is very interesting as a black filmmaker. Um, so going from, you know, horror to thrillers to, to dramas to comedy, like I just love the the, the insanity of creating something that people would be like, oh, shit. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, yeah. this movie yeah. has a lot of what I like to call cooler talk. You know, I think when the film goes off, a couple hours later, you're like, what'd you think? You know what I mean? Like, what'd you think yeah. about what he did or what she said? Or, But here's the thing. Hillary Swank in this, th- that to me was the icing on the cake because we've never seen her that sexy. We've never seen her play a role like this. And uh, it, was just a, it was just a stretch for her to actually be like, I remember talking to her the first day to ask her to do the film, and she was like, wait, I'm going to do what? I'm like, <laughs> you got to... <laughs> and I'm like, you got to get naked on the counter, and you got to have to like... And go. she's like, no, I'm not uh-huh. doing anything. I'm like, yeah, you got to do it because it'll be... But it's really cool to see actors like her, in- incredible, two Academy Awards, actors like Dennis Quaid, you know what I mean? Like, it's great to see them leave it all at the door and lose their minds yeah. in these films. It's fun. And you can see the levels of how great they are of actors. I mean, Hillary opposite Michael Ely was insane in this film. Like, I was just like, you're like watching them like, yeah, okay, they're playing chess. And um, anyways, I appreciate the compliment, man, really do. Well, and we got it. We were talking about this before you came on. Michael, so we've mentioned this before on the podcast. Michael Ely is one of these guys. We like lose our minds because we talk about, you know, we talk about these B-sides. This dude is a bona fide movie star. Like, if you look at the receipts, like, he is one of the most reliable names, like, in movies, right? In terms of, like, if you you literally, we've we've gone through his filmography. I've just, like, we had this guy. And it kind of kills us where I'm like, he never gets that. Like, no one's ever like, oh, yeah, all the bankable stars, bop, 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 bop. Yeah. Ely, right? He ne- and it always kind of bothers us because if you look, it's really, like, impressive. And obviously, he's done some TV and stuff, too. But, like, he really, like, carries movies as a star. He has that star power. And, like, this is no different. The, obviously, you worked with him in The Intruder um, as well. And, like, you're right what you were saying earlier, Dion he is a flawed guy so often now in movies that's not a thing right like you have these characters and look that's you could that's a superherofication maybe of stuff whatever but like this guy is inherently a good guy but he makes his big mistake and that's what the whole movie's about and it almost feels like people are sometimes almost reticent to even do that in film so it makes that decision you know impressive in that way, I suppose. And like black and blue, just to kind of bring up a couple of your other movies. I mean, that, that movie moves at such a clip while also being able to, I think pretty definitely tackle, you know, tough issues, which, you know, you have Tyrese who like one will forget also an amazing act. I mean, he's great in the fast and furious movies, but like put those aside. And we were talking about baby boy before you came on. And it's like, this dude can like, it's turned in an amazingly great performance. So that's yeah. another movie that I would just recommend to people, Black and Blue. Yeah, I think Ely is, um, obviously, I, I love what what he's able to do in this movie because it was interesting, man, in the in, um, 
I remember the first time I cast him in Intruder, people was like, oh, he's always the villain. He's always the bad guy. He's crazy. And I'm like, just go watch the movie. Like, he's not crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And people seeing the movie, I say, he's far from crazy. As a matter of fact, he doesn't want to hold guns. He doesn't want to be, he, he's, not, he's a nonviolent person. So people seen that. And that movie opened number two in the world opposite Avengers Endgame, right? So we were like, oh, my God. But that's the bankability of Michael Ealy. You have a three yeah. you have a three million dollar movie opening against Endgame that goes on to make forty plus million dollars, right? We're like, we're all like screaming and yelling and going crazy. I remember like for three days I was just going ah into the phone. So then now you <laughs> now you get to him and this, and it's the same reaction. Everyone's like, oh, I know he crazy. He always crazy. I'm like, man, leave this dude alone. Like, just go watch it. I said, you'd be surprised at what you're gonna see him do in this film. When I first heard that, um, when I first, I told a couple of studios when I first had this film, I was like, yo, the guy, he sleeps with this girl, he makes a mistake. Oh, no, we could never do that. Mm. We could, oh, why does he do that? I said, well, you guys can make movies about Satan dancing around in kitchens with boots on, like, but y'all can't make a, <laughs> yeah. y'all can make a, y'all can make a, you can make a movie about a man that has an affair. Like, okay, this is crazy. So I was like, I'm making, now I really want to make the film. You know what I mean? Yeah. So now I'm like, I got to make this because it's real. And what I think is awesome about film and when you're independent artist, you can tell yourself yes, you know, and you know what those little beats are that you need to do in, in cinema. Look, people want authenticity and realism right now. The, the, two years ago, we were done with everything is great and the world is this. Now we're in a global pandemic. We don't have no money. <laughs> People trying to figure it out. The last thing I want to do is make a movie that you pay $20 to go see. And you're like, what the was that? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I want to I give you a film where you're like, all right, he got my 20 Like, that was dope. You know, and, and that's what makes me feel good. So <clears throat> having those characters go up and down like that in a film, to me, is worth the price of admission. You know? And, and I think that's what we want to see. And also, a case study for us as men, like, what would you do? You know what I mean? What what would you do? Like the door in the ring, the doorbell goes off and this lady comes in, you like, okay, how do I handle this? Right? And and he did it like everybody else would. Do I know you? I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. Yeah, I mean it's it's really it's true. It's it's a, it's one of those I mean you said it. It's a cooler type of a movie which, you know, Back in the day, it was like you'd get that every other Friday, but obviously now it feels kind of like special, you know, because it's not like you said, the studios are saying no, which I think I mean, it's it feels short sighted to me. But I, I suppose, you know, as time goes on, it'll it, 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 it's clear they work. Right. I think that's the important yeah. thing. And you're doing well, and, a great job and, kind of and especially on the model that you just described. Dion, where it's like uh it's like if you're only making 40 but you're only spending six then who's gonna you know complain <laughs> right. yeah, yeah i think it's smart you know we we talk about that kind of model a lot on this podcast and it's kind of you know to 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 at least make the sort of adult skewed entertainment that you're trying to make here it's a it's a very smart way to go about it um I think especially on some of these movies where you kind of seemingly have someone in the pocket like a Hillary Hillary Swank, Swank, like a Naomi Harris, like a Dennis Quaid that you can maybe kind of have go to bat for you a little bit. I think it's uh, I think it's super smart and savvy and effective. And, uh, you know, when these things ultimately come out, 
um, they're, you know, like Dan said, they're, they're treasures. Man, I appreciate yeah. it, man. Yeah. I think, I think <clears throat> there are a few people trying to make cool movies again, man. I really love what Blumhouse is doing, you know, Jason Blum sure. and that group. I'm very, very friendly with them, but yeah, man, it's just kind of like, and if you, even if you think about their model right now, they're kind of attacking it independently and just doing cool shit. If, yeah. if he wasn't doing what he wasn't doing, what he was doing, we wouldn't have got get out. You know what I mean? So right. this is kind of like the world that we're tapping into is back to the, you know, those old 80s and 90s, the creature features, you know what I mean? The thrillers, mm-hmm. the, the adult thrillers. Like that was, you know, I remember seeing like Orion come up on the, and you would just know like, yeah. okay, this would be great. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we gotta, hopefully we, we'll get back to more of those. We got to, I think, wrap up with you, but you you haven't made a creature feature, have you, Dion? Yeah. No, I want to. Oh, you guys, man. Yeah. Hey, you, guys remember, you guys remember the Toxic Avenger? Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't gotten to make, I haven't gotten to make one yet, but I'm, I'm working on it, man. I'm really working on it. Yeah, I want to see the Dion Taylor like creature feature, like uh, <laughs> like uh, what was the like relic or like yeah. you know the movie was like uh, oh man, I would love it. Get, bring Michael back. I was gonna say you, know? you gotta get Ely. You gotta get Ely. Michael and Tyrese, yeah. just like your mimic, your mimic or something. Yeah, you know? that's like, awesome, man. Yeah, oh, man. we gotta work on that, man. Well, look, I appreciate you guys, and thank look, thank you so much for watching the film. Uh, truly, yeah, man. man like, I know we get we get to a place to where it's 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 common to kind of be out here and do this, and people watch a movie and talk a little bit about it. But for me, it's it's very different, man, because it took me a very long time to be able to speak to people who have seen the film. So I appreciate you guys seeing it, and thank you for the for the energy and all the love. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, no, of course, Dan. Thank, thanks for taking the time. Um, just for everybody, you know. Fatal's out as you're listening. Black and blue, check it out. Traffic, The Intruder. You got a movies like Supremacy that you kind of started out with. Which, we, if we had more time, we'd get into it because, like Connor said, that's a your whole story, your whole rise is, is very kind of impressive and like I think just kind of you know um, read about it, listener, because it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot. Of, it's a boring story. I don't know, man. I, I think you got, you got Germany basketball in there. I think it's pretty cool. Um, Dion, I so, do have one quick last question uh, because we are sort of uh, pairing this with an end of the year holiday themed episode. Oh, yeah, right. Do you have a um, do you have a particular holiday movie that you love? Yeah, like a go to holiday movie. Oh, man. <sighs> Jeez. Outside of Christmas story. Yeah. Um, that that could be yeah, the answer. could be a Christmas story. I love Christmas. I think Die Hard is great. Yes. Yeah. There there's is. the answer. Yeah. There Die Hard. Go. Die Hard is a great Christmas movie. You know that? Like it's all Christmas. So uh, I love yep. Die Hard, and uh, I would say Christmas Story is 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 obviously a cl- I think I think we leave it on in our TV Thanksgiving. We've been we watched it three times. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 well reasoned. I think that that, yes. that is a great one. All right, Dion, have a good day. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, you know, fatal. See it. See it. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate (laughs) you. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We hope you enjoyed that interview. Dion's great, as we said. Um, He's a super interesting guy. It's kind of a bummer. I wish we could have spoken to him for even longer because his origin story, which we kind of mentioned, is crazy. He was a professional basketball player, and then he basically kind of figured out how to make film, you know, outside of the system 
which is always kind of exciting, of course, like just as a, you know, we're professionals right on the fringes of the world ourselves. So it's always nice to hear that story because it's like, you know, it's good to just hear all the different versions of how to kind of get in. And he's and it's you know, we we talk also a lot about the kind of filmmakers that are just like that just do the work. And and Dion is clearly one of those people. And I think it's something that you can't really he's the kind of filmmaker that you can't really remove the way he got into filmmaking away from his movies. Right. And and mm. it's um, I, I, I don't know. I think it's just it, it makes to me watching some of the ones that we talked about, like Black and Blue and The Intruder and stuff. It's just fascinating to me to see somebody who, you know, seemingly enjoys the kind of movies that we talk about all the time. He even mentioned, obviously, as you heard, he mentions that he like loves unlawful entry. Right. Like which is a <clears throat> which is a prime B side. So it's like the kind of thing that it's just I don't know. I I it was really nice to just listen to someone talk about their love for these kind of movies and and to pair that with their ability to just decide, I guess I'm just going to make them because nobody else is right. And, and to kind of really successfully follow through. on. Yeah. It kind of, it does remind me a little bit of when we talked about Schumacher, Joel Schumacher, sure. it's a similar, you know, look workman like, and that's not a, not on this podcast. That is not a diss, right? That's, that's the idea. Right. So it's like those, one hopes those types of, hardworking filmmakers can continue to kind of bounce around genres, you know, have fun with staples, you know, make mid-range stuff, which, you know, like you're saying, is less and less a thing. Now, in the spirit of the holiday and in the spirit of Fatal, we decided to dig up a couple of 1940s Christmas set thrillers slash noirs, mm -hmm. which is also watching these made me be like, oh, well, maybe Fetal could have been a Christmas movie. Obviously, the intention was never for them to set it at Christmas because of COVID. Everything changed. But like, I mean, if, 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 so our two movies just are 1944's Christmas Holiday and 1947's Lady in the Lake. And mm -hmm. in both cases, the Christmas part feels especially like extra like i just go like and i know the one is called christmas holiday understandably yeah, yeah. but but even in christmas holiday i go like i didn't need to be said it you know it's, no, just, it's no. very and funny it's, but. And it's, it's interesting i did we'll get to it but i did sort of appreciate it a little more in lady in the lake it just oh, felt, interesting. It, it just felt okay. a little more part of the atmosphere kind of but interesting um but you know, and I think it also helps. Like I watched both these movies in my living room, like under the glow of a Christmas tree, right? While like sipping on yeah. eggnog. Like that's not even, a, that sounds like a joke. It's not like that's exactly how I watched them. And it was sort of nice. It was like a very cozy, they're very cozy movies uh, in that regard. And I think I definitely appreciate that. I will point out actually, and I mentioned this to you when, but right before we interviewed Dion, but um, that, the intruder is kind of weirdly a holiday thriller because it sort of spans this Thanksgiving into Christmas um, time frame. And it doesn't it not unlike these movies sort of doesn't feel like it because it's like set in Napa. Right. So it's like not not as much of a thing. Um, yeah, you you said that because you caught up. So like I had seen a lot of or a few of Deion Taylor's movies. I had seen I had seen the intruder and I'd seen black and blue and then ahead of the interview. I watched Traffic, which I hadn't seen, uh, with Paul Patton and Omar Epps. 
and obviously we we both watched Fatal. And I also wrote the review on the film stage for Fatal, which I gave a B. I like I like Fatal. I mean, you know, yeah. it's a it's a trashy thriller in all the best ways. Is what kind of what I thought of it. So when you said that about the Intruder, I had to think back and be like, oh yeah, that was the kind of bridge. That was the the period of time in that movie. Um, also starring Michael Ely, who we talk about a lot. Uh, you just heard us talk about a lot. Who's like super underrated movie star. So okay. Our first movie, and this, and look, I was thinking back to our, our holiday episode last year. We kind of dip into the, this world a little bit when we talk about the ice, ice harvest yeah, as well, sure. right? So, so which I will say, I think is significantly better than both of the, these two <laughs> movies. Um, it's also, I think, got a little bit more of what you're talking about in terms of that movie. Holiday. Yeah, that movie, you know, Christmas feels distinctly uh, a, a part of it, you know. Yeah, um, and... <sighs> I, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I'm happy you're a little bit more positive on both these movies. I <laughs> did not actually like either of these movies particularly, um, which is always weird. I, I was saying this to Kelly, like old movies, I find the bar, it's not lower at all, but for me personally, as a, as a fan, I, I, I always find myself liking them mostly oh, because yeah. I, mean, I think like at a bare minimum, yeah. my point is simply like, I think part of it's just that. The reason I like old movies the way that I like them, it feels like a time machine, like you're watching yeah. a different time. And I think that on its face is like uh, just an exciting thing. Sure. And now, this episode for me is the exception that proves the rule where it's I really did watch these two movies and was was pretty disappointed in both. Now, the, our first movie, as we said, is Christmas Holiday. It's directed by Roger uh, Sidemack, Cy- which um, Sidemack, I think. Sadamac. Okay. Yeah. Interesting director, workman like director. Probably his best movie is The Killers with uh Burt Lancaster from a <laughs> yeah. couple which came out yeah. a couple years after this. Um The Killers, I would seek that out. I think the most interesting thing when you look at the credits of this movie is, is it was written by one Herman J. Mankiewicz. Mank himself. The subject of the subject of David Fincher's Mank. Um and what I thought about the screenplay for this was that it was like one of the things him and the Ben Hacked Algonquin writers room make up because they were too lazy to actually write it yes. in the room. Yes. That's what it felt like. It Th- was like this feels like a movie. And I mean, I, not even feels like it, it. It technically sort of is this. It's a movie wrapped in another movie. Right. But but not in a way that to me felt entirely intentional. Um. And I guess the plot is pretty standard for a film noir. Basically, um, it follows a army lieutenant who is on his Christmas leave, right, and is excited to see his his fiance. And he gets a letter from her essentially saying that she has left him and has since married another man while he's been in the army, right? So he decides to go home to San Francisco anyway. And on the way, there's a storm and his plane has to land. And he essentially winds up getting sidetracked into this sort of, you know, seedy underworld uh, while he's really just trying to get home, which, you know, kind of in a detour-y type, type thing, right? Um, a sort of seemingly simple journey that that goes off the rails. Now, um, in that span, he winds up meeting, uh, Deanna Durbin, who plays a woman named Jackie Lamont, um, who's essentially in, in sort of an original version of the story, 
she is sort of more explicitly a sex worker. Uh, Herman Mankiewicz apparently to, to appease sort of the, you know, the code, as it were, he rewrote her into, uh, he changed the setting from Paris to New Orleans and rewrote her into kind of a sort of more ambiguous, like nightclub singer type, uh, type person. And in sort of getting into Deanna Durbin's life, she recounts the story, and this is now the story within the story. She recounts her sort of relationship and ultimate marriage to a man named Robert Manette, who is played by Gene Kelly, and essentially how this this marriage kind of went off the rails and and put uh, Jackie where she currently is in, in her in her given situation. So it then kind of dives the whole movie from there on out really just dives into that sort of sub story. Like that is the core of the movie is Deanna Durbin and Gene Kelly kind of working their way through this relationship as Gene Kelly sort of reveals himself to be a bit of a cat, a charming cad and sort of a uh, well insidious yeah. gambler and, and, and all these things. Right. And that's all well and good, but I feel like to your to your point about the the Mank thing of the of Ben Hecht and Mank like tossing around ideas live because they forgot to write something, it just feels like that part of the story was either crafted separately and then the framework was put around it to kind of bolster it, or kind of vice versa. Like they had this framework story of a guy trying to get home during his Christmas holiday and he gets sort of diverted into a, a world of noir intrigue. Right. And then they took this other thing that was lying around and kind of sandwiched it into it. And it just, they, they didn't really seem to gel very well with me because they don't, there's not enough. I think there's not enough going back and forth between the two things to show how they actually relate to it, each other. You kind of get to the end of the interior story and then hop back out to your framework story and and it sort of wraps itself up in, in a way. Yeah, it feels like um, it feels like it's half a movie, which is funny because there's two separate stories happening where it's like, I actually don't mind the connection of the two pieces and the flashback device is okay. Yeah. And the, everything that happens, the framework as a noir thing, I think can totally work. I mean, sure. you see it, you see versions of it, like Murder My Sweet, for example, which is an adaptation of Farewell My Lovely. And obviously that's a, another Marlowe story and we're going to get to Lady in the Lake in a minute. I mean, double identity, right? Like that. Yeah, like, like the, the framework yeah. thing, like interrogation, confession, what have you, yeah. right? This is essentially a confession of some sort, right? Um, that's all well and good. The problem is it's almost like you get an 85 minute movie where at the end of the movie, it feels like the movie's starting and it's sure. weird. It's like, you kind of go like, okay, it's all, it's all character development, which is not necessarily bad, but you said charming in, in regards to Gene Kelly. This is one of Gene Kelly's earlier movies. And this is one of his very first non-musical movies. And there's not a lot of charm. He's a good-looking guy. Gene Kelly, of course, is a very charming guy in so many of the pictures that well, I guess made. that's what I mean, is that yeah, the it's character like, is charming to other characters. You get the... Like, yeah, you but know, it's like, so hard. Right, yeah. but, but if, if you're telling me that the guy's charming and he is not charming. That's always tough. Well, like right. you're, and it, and it that's makes... a tough sell. And he's like a sociopath. 
Oh, I know I've said it a hundred times before, but this time I mean it. You'll see everything's going to be different from now on. Abigail, after all, those people had to be paid. I don't believe you. What about that policeman? What about those trousers? Well, well I, Mother couldn't get the stain out of them. But I, well, I put on the extra pair. I, I took the others to the cleaners. Robert, I saw your mother burn those trousers yesterday in the incinerator. Anybody ask you, I got those trousers dirty cleaning a car for a friend. Mother gave them away to a tramp the day before yesterday. That's what she's going to say. And about the money. If anybody asks you, anybody, you never saw me with that money. You never knew I had it. My life may depend upon it. Abigail, if you ever loved me, I'll always love you. It's funny because we're gonna. I'm gonna say similar things about Robert Montgomery's performance yeah. in Lady in the Lake, but it's weirdly similar for these two movies, where it's like Gene Kelly, charming guy, Robert Montgomery. I have not seen as much of his work, but in other pictures, including Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which was the Hitchcock uh, film he made, mm -hmm. charming guy can be charming, yeah, right? Funny. Like, yeah. Uh, but in this movie, Gene Kelly, it's just like you're told. That he's like easy to love by, you know, uh, Abigail slash uh, Jackie. And it's hard to see. And he's so guilty the whole time that any sort of like gone girl, you know, uh, presumed innocent. Like bait and switch kind of thing. Any yeah. sort of like, uh, you know, jagged edge type of like. Oh, okay. He seems like he's the killer, but he seems also kind of charming. It's just not there. I mean, it's just like not for me, at least it was not there. So can I tell you what I was, which is why when it hops, I, cause I agree with you that even when it gets to where the two stories are connected, it's ba the movie's basically over when it feels like it's only kind of should just be starting in a way. Um, because I agree with you on that. What I was waiting for while watching it, I didn't really hate the experience of watching it, but what I was waiting for was like it to turn out to be sort of a an unreliable narrator situation. Well, yeah, like I exactly. No, like you're where, totally where, 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 right. Like, Gene I, Kelly turns out to be not that bad, right? Where you where you yeah. actually meet him in person as opposed to just in this story. And maybe Deanna Durbin is like a true femme fatale, right? Well, exactly. Yes, exactly and, and, and right. Yes. And that's maybe the most satisfying way to end a movie like this, if that's, you know. Well, it, and also look from a yeah, genre we talk, standpoint. We talk about this. We've seen a few of these, right, me and Connor. So I do think it, I think it's always important to remember that context in terms of like your level of movie fandom. So it's like your the mind is trained to expect sure. certain things, whether yeah. that's good or not. And I think certainly watching this movie. You're knowing it's a noir, you go like, well, this can't just be what it is. And then when it is just that, it's certainly at some level disappointing. And I think it just, look, it speaks to also when you bring it back to Mankiewicz, this is 44. Kane has come out, obviously. He's won his one and only Oscar for it. You know, now look, Manx accuracy has been called into question, of course, but 
a kind of undisputed thing is following Kane Mankiewicz, both personally and professionally, it really was tough. Like he he felt deeper into the bottle, mm-hmm. right? Deeper into other things. His health, his health only got worse. I mean, he only dies basically a decade after Kane comes out, essentially, right? So this is after Kane. So he's kind of this is the twilight years, whether or not he knows it. Yeah. Does and this it almost, does it it feels like a C work from yeah, this guy. Yeah, no, and it, I, I and agree. it's you know, who knows? They were still writing by committee in a lot of cases. So it's like who's to really say there are certainly, certainly some great little lines here yes. that you go like, oh, that's lovely. And that's oh I mean, look, the comforting blanket of a lot of these old movies, and me and you talk about this are those lines and like kelly will you know tell you with her eyes rolling till the cows come home like whenever i'm have one of these things on i'll repeat the lines i'll be like you know because you know the the articulation and the patter and the yeah i totally agree it's it's lovely that's and this kind of goes back to what you were saying before like that baseline level of enjoyment is still there for me with both these movies because it's just on its face a a sort of comfort right so i it's it's easy to get through for me um but i will say i will say there is like if you had any doubt that this was a christmas movie there is an extended extended midnight mass christmas sequence in oh which, dude it's in which the two lead characters before dieta durbin dives into her kind of sad backstory before we even get to gene kelly it is an extended sequence at a uh like a roman catholic midnight mass and too long too long i get to set it it's, aesthetically it's insane and, and all it's it, insane all, all it really serves is to set up that she has some sort of a guilty conscience right but it's like it's bad writing because you could just yeah. you can so easily just get that across in two seconds without like you can cut to them. At well, I don't know if it's bad, she, right? I don't know if it's bad writing. I mean, I think it's bad directing. Probably bad directing. Yeah, sure, because sure. because because um, I I so the my favorite part of this movie I was going to mention. There's in right smack dab in the middle of this movie, forty five minutes in. There's this beautiful shot. Uh, of an of an orchestra yes and it basically kind of i'm trying to think of what they would have used in 44 like some sort of a crane kind of pushes in and then slides over and finds our two leads and it's if you did it now it would be more like what you see in something like rogue nation mission impossible rogue nation and actually reminded me of that yeah i'd be curious i I agree you know macquarie and Cruz, they always talk about how much how big of film fans they are so it always be like you know whether or not do you know in your head do you like you think oh that shot in christmas holiday like you know i don't know but it does certainly feel like that i took once you see that shot and that's part of a flashback where um abigail is describing her essential meat cute of sorts with gene kelly I, when you look back to the church scene, which is in the, towards the beginning of the movie, I took that to also be part of it, which is like the filmmakers trying to connect. She feels guilty. She has these fond memories of the orchestra, a church, a full church on Christmas is in a way like an orchestra. Right. People are singing. You have the choir, it's also the right? Christmas of it all where sure. it's this Christmas movie. So I, in that way, I understood 
the intention but yeah like watching it it feels it for like a mis- it feels like a mistake yeah like, i was like am i in church like what like, yeah no like I, am I-, I will say if that was the effect you and i both grew up raised catholic yeah if that right. was the effect that they how were many trying, midnight it felt like midnight mass. i know i was like when is this over so i can get to the fun I'm stuff like mom <laughs> do we have um, to go to midnight mass so that was an so interesting fun, fun, thing. fun fun memory is and i'm sure this is like any catholic kid has a memory like this we would go to my aunt rosemary's for uh christmas eve which was always kind of a bigger family thing for sure. the whole family. And we're Italian, so we do like the seven fishes. Right. And we do it on Christmas Eve as opposed to Christmas Day, which was like ham or turkey or whatever. And our me and my sister, and then my brother in later years, we <laughs> it was an hour drive to Connecticut from where we were. Yeah. So when my dad, and it wasn't every year, but some years, he would be like, let's do midnight mass. We would be like, okay, we just got to push. Like, we got to just try to like stay at Aunt Rose house until after 11. And then the drive back, you know, we're not going to make it in time. And it worked like maybe once, you know, like probably one for eight, where it was like one year we got like 11.15 in the car. And and by the time we were on the highway, my dad was like, oh, call it. We're not going to go. And we were, me and my sister were like, (laughs) but um, you don't get to do that in this one. I guess you could scrub through, but um, it, it was certainly a memory for better or worse of those times. I will say you certainly, you could and should scrub through because it's the punctuation that the scene amounts to is purely just a, a reveal of some kind of harrowing guilty conscience secret for Deanna Durbin. And I, and you can, you know, you can still use the same setting, same aesthetic because they get the point across, you know, it, it serves to create that Christmas time feel for sure. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I just, I had to remark on it. Cause to me while watching it, I was so, it was truly baffling. Um, that said, I don't know. I like, if you like, if you like, uh, film noir and you, I mean, and you want to maybe see Gene Kelly in an atypical performance. Um, I think it's kind of worth it for that. I kind of enjoyed it on that, on that front. Um, also like a lot of older film noirs, like not long, right? Like breezy, like and breezy might not be the word after we just talked about like felt a- long. I mean, it's available on YouTube. So in that respect, you know, yeah, we'll you- link to in the article, you can give it a look. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it was, it was interesting as we pivot to lady in the lake, I, I should take a moment to say doing a little bit of cursory research. Um, and I'll link to this article, uh, as well. Um, Vulture from 2017 had a nice little article that's just titled 10 Great Christmas Adjacent to Movies That Aren't Die Hard. And that's a good list. You have stuff like Three Days of the Condor, which people forget there's a Christmas element to that. LA Confidential is a big Christmas element, which is one of my favorite movies. Cover Up from 1949, which made me laugh because Cover Up, I think is by all accounts a better picture than the two that we're talking about. And it feels very similar. So I was kind of like, Oh man, too little, too late. And that's also on, uh, on YouTube. Maybe, I think. Ne- maybe next year, Never, maybe next year, <laughs> the apartment, which is a classic right. Billy Wilder movie. That's Great there's Christmas a Christmas movie. element. Yeah. Um, Batman returns, which I feel like is almost in the diehard level of at this point. People, yeah, I feel everybody like kind knows. Of a, yeah. Similarly to that, the long kiss goodnight, uh, you know, is a Shane black movie. So there's a Christmas you've got mail. Fine. I mean, I would say shop around the corner. The original is Has almost more, more of a yeah, Christmas movie, but 
uh, you've got males of, I think, a classic. So, and then one I forgot about, which I thought was interesting, the Thin Man, which is another classic yes. from '34. That yeah. is Christmas movie. I forgot that. And a, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I almost was gonna bring it up, but it's because, but it's obviously like not a B side because it's like one of the greatest movies ever made. But yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, I always forget that the part. I always remember. Now, that- here's my question. Now, and this is a good segue into Lady in the Lake. Mm. Is the book set in Gaunt during Christmas? Because Lady in the Lake, which is a, a Raymond Chandler book, which is a Raymond Chandler book called Lady in the Lake, which is one of his many Philip Marlowe mysteries. Yeah. The book, which I have read Lady in the Lake, is not set at Christmas. Right. And Robert Montgomery and the filmmakers chose they re- to they set it at Christmas. Yeah. And this is, I don't, I rarely do this in my life, in my real life or in my podcast life. This is one of those movies where... I was like, the just read the book. Like the book is oh, for Lady in the Lake. Yeah. is is a better is a better experience in almost every way. And I think, look, the the interesting thing about this movie, which is why I'm glad we're covering it, it is a, a point of view movie right. in which the movie begins, and you have Robert Montgomery playing Philip Marlowe, the famous private eye. He addresses the lens directly, the audience directly, and he's like, blah, 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 blah. This is the story you're about to see. And then the camera basically turns, and the majority of the movie is from his literal POV, first-person point of view. Yeah. And you'll get mirror shots and reflections and whatnot, and he'll, he addresses the camera. He, like, breaks the fourth wall, like, two or three more times throughout the movie just yeah, to kind of set the stage. Yeah, it's segmented into, like, three different segments, basically. And it basically holds the same general story of the book Lady in the Lake, but it the limitations of I found of the point of view style are like really really hinder the tale. Like to a degree sure. where I was kind of like, this is frankly uninteresting because you just have and look there were limitations back then of course and just in the terms of how to actually do these things i mean we talked about another one of these uh dark passage right with Humphrey which Bogart. is directly basically adjacent to this movie because dark but passage, is be- but is better right well Don't you yes think? And, and i would say it's i mean it's better for a couple reasons i'll let you finish your point and then i'll get into why. well no so the point is simply like i i think so dark passage which is also based on a book which i did read i think right ahead of us recording that uh or read most of it, i think about before recording that podcast with i think nate or our buddy nate washburn yes um yeah. was that's like not a new that's like less of a noir it's more of a like action set piece type of a movie for what that's worth in the 40s right it's like yeah guy escapes jail like so there are noir elements but my point is hides in the back of a truck there's not a, in, there's yeah, not sure. really there's a mystery but the mystery isn't the thing right right when the mystery of like the lady in the lake who like isn't the lady you think it's going to be and that's another lady which is what the book is fine mm-hmm. if we're just watching it from one person's point of view the whole time and there's like never like an ability to manipulate the camera right to like show another side to like show a side eye glance from the femme fatale to like cut to the guy we think is the villain the cop with a questionable you know take or like a doubting you know a doubting uh you know response when you if you take all that away it just really kind of oversimplifies it, and then, but then at the same time it makes it, it way more it feels complicated, confusing. Yeah, yeah it's no, like well, very the, confusing to watch. I'm glad you yeah. said that because that I basically again from just a sort of 
cursory viewing experience, general comfort level thing. I enjoyed watching this movie because the gimmick of the POV is kind of, is like fun, right? Um, whether or not that translates into a good movie or a good noir is a totally different thing, right? So my enjoyment of this movie is sort of divorced from that, I suppose, a bit. But to your point, I had a really hard time. You can't like... And not, I'll say this, not that you should necessarily be doing this, but it's 2020 and we're all watching movies at home and whatever. But this is like not a movie. It's a hard movie to like look at your phone while it's on kind of thing. Um, I had to rack it back a couple of times because like you said, when you divorce it from the ability to move the plot and story and character forward visually, right? everything hinges upon people giving information directly to the camera and main character. Right. And so that means that everything that comes across is important and is kind of, you know, there's, there's not, there's little room for anything else. And I will say the parts of this movie that I liked the most are the parts that left a little bit of room for like other things. Right. And I, that's it. I think when you when you take it uh, as a Philip Marlowe adaptation, right? And and the I mean the basic story behind this movie is this is based on a screenplay by Raymond Chandler. He's adapting his own work, and as Marlowe adaptations go, it's considered lesser, which is funny to think about because he adapted it himself. But this was one of those things where at the time. Um, Bob Montgomery, who I don't know if we mentioned this, directs this movie, right? Yeah, his directorial debut. He yeah. made like through four or five altogether. Yeah, this he is had first, actually yeah. he had sort of he had gotten his first taste at directing on set with uh, John Ford for the film. They were expendable, where oh, uh, Ford was sick, and so Bob Montgomery kind of stepped in. And but this this is his sort of directorial debut. And I think on that in that context, it's interesting too, right? In sort of a just an you know a movie star deciding to kind of like take on this it, it a very ambitious movie, right? As his like directorial debut. Um, but that said, he wanted Chandler to write the screenplay. Chandler wrote the screenplay um, after he had been nominated for his work on Double Indemnity with Billy Billy Wilder, and. Um, he had also at the time received another nomination for the blue Dahlia and Oh, good movie. Yeah. Good movie. And so it seemed like a no brainer, right? Like he wrote the book, he'll adapt it, whatever. And I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious to see what the huge problems were, uh, originally. Um, but basically point being it was terrible and, um, and Montgomery then brought on, Steve Fisher, who was a like a co-writer with Chandler uh, for Black Mask magazine in the 1930s. And Fisher made a bunch of changes. And the biggest change he made was changing the setting to Christmas. Interesting. Um, the reason this doesn't work is because it's Bob Montgomery. Because to me, and you had kind of mentioned off mic how thoroughly unlikable he is. And that's true. He's just like you know even for and the Mar- the marlo character is written as, as a bit of a shithead but like uh, it's uh, easier to read it yes first of sure, all sure right like not look not unlike the james bond thing right to read ian fleming's james bond is to really read like a truly horrible person <laughs> but 
on the page you kind of roll with it it's all you know time time and place and whatnot right on the screen for for as misogynistic as even the screen bond is now it's significantly not as bad right right and obviously right. as time has gone on like daniel craig's bond is so much more you know by the time you get to specter and whatnot he's so much more for whatever faults there still are i mean don't even i mean there are rape scenes that are played for laughs in the connery ones and then there are rape scenes that are played for even more laughs in the books right so it's similar where it's like where it's like you go from Chandler, you get to Bogart in the big sleep, who was a pro at playing those types of characters. Sure. Even Rick Blaine from Casablanca yeah, is, is, is some version of a Philip Marlowe. Or a, yeah, yeah, he's not yeah. like the greatest guy in the world. He comes around, of course, but it takes him long enough. It's like, but Bogart had that thing and Bob Montgomery just does not. I mean, he just does well, not. Then this is the this is the key problem because you even then look at, um, you look at, Mitchum, right, and and Elliot Gould. Just, I mean, for the record, Long Goodbye is like one of my favorite movies of all time. I think that's an amazing all-timer performance. Sort of doesn't count when we're talking about it because his version of Marlowe is like specifically out of time, out of place, and sort of a different thing. But with what we're speaking to, you look at Mitchum, you look at Bogart. To them, there is an underlying sad sack emptiness to philip marlowe which is why when he is especially shitty you it that the sad sack emptiness eases it not because you feel bad for him but because you almost you understand feel, you understand bit, yeah. it and you almost feel like he's sort of consistently getting what he deserves right like he says well, and, he says something yeah. shitty and then you're like oh well you also deserve to be sad and lonely then <laughs> like yeah and, and and to your point the the other side of the less the less uh, Chandler, more cinematic slacker side of the coin is you have Gar- James Garner plays him in Marlowe right, in the late right. 60s. Yep. And in the early 70s, Gould plays him in The Long Goodbye, which is unquestionably the best Marlowe movie. I mean, not even close. I mean, The Big Sleep's good, but it's yeah, not. But the Long Goodbye is amazing. So, yeah. but, but Garner and Gould have similar things in as much as Garner, though he's a matinee idol looking guy, he has this. He has this world weary, nice guy as opposed to broken guy quality sure. that he then takes with him to the Rockford Files. Right. And Very if you similar. read, yeah, his performance in Marlowe was a direct inspiration on the Rockford Files. Like that's almost people looked at Marlowe and were like, "Oh, we could do that." But then, and that kind of becomes the and the Marlowe is not a particularly good movie, by the way. But but um, I think the one cool thing about Marlowe is Garner fights young Bruce Lee. Which is like uh, a weird scene in the middle of it. But like and so you have those performances, which are good in their own way. You have the two that the other two that you mentioned. James Ga- James Kahn played Marlowe in a weird movie called Poodle Springs in the late 90s. That was like an HBO movie. And even that Khan is somewhere in the middle of those. Like he's kind of likable but broken, especially old Khan. And yeah, but he Bob still Montgomery. Fits that mold, Con, right? Like as an actor. He does, he does. Right? Bob Bob Montgomery is like if Tyrone Power or <laughs> yeah. or or, or like um, Clark Gable or, or Clark Gable, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Played he's uh, just Marlowe, just not that's not the thing they have, he's whatever very, that thing is. He's very pleased with himself, 
right? So when he constantly just like refuses to refer to a woman as anything but a female with a con- you know with this condescending tone, which happens more times than you can count in this movie, right? It's with this such such reassurance that he is just so much better than they are, right? Whereas like any of the other Philip Marlowe's would have said that either sarcastically as a self-own or a joke or something or as just this thing where they're saying and they kind of know they're saying a shitty thing but they also deep down believe that they're shitty mean sad people right whereas this this philip marlowe does not have that and i think you know yeah it's funny go ahead sorry no no no. and I, i i will say despite that this movie still like i found true joy in this movie in the little things like i said before when this movie allows for character to come through or a little flourishes i will say um i i do think that um audrey totter's performance as adrian Fromset, who's the essentially the femme femme fatale type character in this film um who is also kind of the i guess like most femme fatales the sort of the inciting incident as you know marlo tries to publish a story with her that then gets him embroiled in this murder in which she sort of he takes her on as a client that kind of thing and he sort of begrudgingly not begrudgingly kind of falls in love with her um i think she's actually doing great work here because it's just i can't fathom how hard it must be as an actor particularly at the time when you're dealing with all the technical limitations to have to just constantly keep your face on the whole time right yeah totally um and to have to kind of she gives, I mean, just honestly, you could even just quickly do a quick GIF search for this movie and half of the things that come up are her like wonderful, funny reactions to just all of the things that Marlo says to her. Um, but there is one particular scene where he goes to see her. This is kind of halfway through the movie after one of the many twists and turns in the story is sort of pivoting for yet another time. And he goes to see her at the publishing office's Christmas party and it's happening in the other room, right? Which I always, I, I, that's the type of stuff in movies that are Christmas adjacent that I always like where you can kind of slip a Christmas party scene in there and it's not necessarily the scene itself. It's just sort of this backdrop to everything going. The apartment does it really well. Um, Eyes Wide Shut does it really well too. Die Hard, obviously all about that. I feel like that's a really easy way for a lot of these Christmas adjacent movies to kind of like stake that claim as a quote unquote Christmas movie. But in this scene, he's talking to Audrey Totter and the singing from outside, sort of the jovial, drunken singing of the Christmas party gets louder and louder and louder. And they've both kind of begrudgingly done that thing where they admit that they're like in love with each other. And but he also then decides to like decide to be too proud and he storms out. And in what I what struck me as just such a distinctly 2020 uh, holiday line, he says, Merry Christmas. What? I said Merry Christmas and I'm glad to have met you and have a good cry. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that that's like the Marlowe stuff that I like where he's like being shitty, but it's kind of funny and he's doing it because he's mad as opposed to doing it because he's like a truly despicable person, you know? Um, yeah. Well, it, it's funny. You talking about Montgomery, he would have fit better as Sam Spade or sure. One of the other Dashiell Hammett characters, like the agents from red harvest where, 
there is a even a I would argue a deeper, darker cynicism in his and Hammett's novels than Chandler's, which I guess people could argue. But I, I think if you read Hammett, like The Glass Key and Red Harvest, like I think a Montgomery would fit better in that world, which is kind of interesting to think about. But I agree with you about Totter. Like, look, Audrey Totter, she's in one of my favorite movies ever, which is a movie called The Setup, which comes out only a few years after this boxing movie starring Robert Ryan, which is kind of filmed like a noir. It's like a, just a impossibly good movie. Like, it's a short movie. It's like I would teach that movie if I taught writing at a college, you know, in terms sure. of just like how, how to be economical in turn, your setting and, and your and your dialogue. And um now I just want to watch the setup. But um, yeah, those moments are nice. My favorite moment, about 25 minutes from the end, they try to, they, quote unquote, they, they try to kill him. He survives. There's a dead guy next to him. And he basically crawls around to escape and like puts his wallet on the dead guy's person so that oh, yeah, yeah. for a period of time, the quote unquote bad guys think he's dead. The way that's filmed is interesting. And there's some interesting that, things that, that they do. sequence, right? Because that yeah. whole sequence, this is where I would, I, I think Dark Passage is a better movie. And I think Dark Passage is more of a success because Dark Passage doesn't try to lean on the gimmick for the entire movie. It sort of just uses it as a way to kind of reel you in a little bit um, and kind of abandons it halfway through. Fun fact, they actually, Warner yep. Brothers, because they were making Dark Passage, did not want Bob Montgomery to do this and then kind of like acquiesce. This was made at MGM, by the way. So it, it, they're competing films and um, they did not want him to do this. And then they ultimately kind of were like, yeah, sure. OK. And then everybody involved kind of allowed him to do it. They had this fun thing where the dolly that they would use to move the camera around, they had to invent a dolly for this movie that had these four adjustable wheels that allowed it to go in and out of doorways and upstairs stairs and like all sorts of stuff and uh for a majority of the sequences they had a, a chair installed on the front of the dolly so that bob montgomery could sit below the camera and even though the actors would be acting into the camera they'd at least have montgomery in front of them to kind of bounce off of and that kind of stuff right. so that i thought was kind of interesting but that whole sequence leading up to this sort of bait and switch that he tries to pull with the dead body that you're mentioning i actually that was the I think that is the technical pinnacle of this movie because he leaves sure. after he leaves after trying to get more information on this sort of other lady in the lake and her possible relationships with some other characters. I won't spoil who or why, but he leaves this couple's house to try and after trying to get information and he gets into his car and it's, you know, it's essentially this quote unquote seamless thing as most of this movie tries to be. And it's essentially a POV car chase, which I feel like obviously you think about that in a movie now and it doesn't seem like a big deal. And it seems like a, a thing that could probably be done relatively easily. But to, for me to think about that in 46, 47, I was just like, oh, they're like doing like good work here. Um, yeah, because there's yeah, just, I mean, there are yeah. shots where he gets in the car, slides across the driver's seat, starts driving. You hear a car. He turns his head. He sees the car behind him. The car pulls up in front of him, like all these things. And so it's, you know, I mean, it's a it's what would be a relatively tame car chase. But I think to me, the fact that, you know, Montgomery kind of really decided to stick to the guns and and try and pull it off as best as possible, um, you know, is just kind of impressive. And I think if you're a, you know, if you're a film fan, um, 
it's a fun little sequence to watch. And that to me, I think I'll, I'll just say to kind of, as we wrap it up here, but I think that to me is the level on which I enjoyed this movie. It's sort of, I, yeah, I, technically. I, yeah, I enjoyed it kind of out outside of itself, but, um, um, and that's look, and it's, it's regarded in that way. I think in film history as well, like it is remembered in, 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 in some sort of way. And I think the technical stuff helps. Um, did you notice that both of these movies basically end the exact same way? <laughs> okay. I'm glad you said that. With, Isn't that crazy? With a character getting shot by another character. Through like a, a character, <laughs> a character, Holding a gun on another character whilst a third character is approaching and they like refuse to acknowledge what is behind them in yeah. a way. Yeah. I yeah. like couldn't believe it. I was we like, won't what? spoil when or who or why, but yeah, both movies. It's just hysterical. Exact, like yeah. if you were to watch both, like, you know, within a day, I mean, you'd that's be like, what I, wait I a watched minute. these movies back yeah, to same, back. Same. Yeah. Yeah, so same. Just, I, was, I like, just oh, was like, wait a minute, okay. wait a minute. Am I watching I the even almost one? when we were talking about just now when we were talking about Christmas holiday, I was going to talk about the ending a little bit. I had to stop myself and I was like, oh, no, I think that's the ending to. Exactly. It's so funny. <laughs> the ending but so to Lady in the Lake. Let, so as we're wrapping up, you know, I want to say um, once, you know, we'll say thank you once more to Dion Taylor. That was a great talk. Thank you for listening, of course. Um, this has been quite a year. This will be our last episode of yes. the 2020. Yes. So. Yeah. Hey, we made it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for doing whatever it is you've been doing to get through this year as we all have been, you know, uh, doing whatever it takes, obviously. And this has been a tough one. But um, along with that, let me say, as we're kind of like final recommendations for Christmas movies outside of our subject for today, uh, Iron Man 3. Great yeah, Christmas movie sure. that anybody would like, I think, in that respect. Um, except for like really intense MCU people, I guess. I don't know, whatever. But um, <laughs> I was then... just saying to, uh, I was mentioning to uh, Gavin Mevius, past and past and future guest on Twitter, that uh, I think the best line reading of any villain in the MCU is, "My name's Trevor." Trevor Trevor Slattery. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Uh, and then he like when he says "goal" and uh, "goal." And, <laughs> Along with uh, that movie, I want to just quickly shout out two movies I just watched that I do like a lot, Almost Christmas and This Christmas. They're both good. And then for Almost Christmas, David E. Talbert, uh, this year, 2020, has a movie called Jingle Jangle that's good, that's out on Netflix, which if I haven't mentioned already on this podcast, uh, check that out. That's fun. It's like a fun musical, uh, kids movie. And then um, speaking of Christmas movies, a guy we became fast friends with through cinephile game night alonzo duralde who is one of the hosts of the who shot you podcast which is very good gotta mention he wrote literally the book on christmas movies called have yourself a movie little christmas yes i recently purchased it myself because of course i need to have that book and i'm excited to get it just it's a movie, you know, if you like these movies, you should just own that book. So I think on his own Twitter uh, profile, he links to his Amazon, the Amazon for it. So you find it there, find it anywhere. But that's a very worthwhile recommendation. Alonzo Duralde's uh, Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. And hey, as always, Connor, I'll pass it to you to take us out of this year and into a brighter future 2021. Yeah, like Dan said, it's been a really crazy, crazy year. And um, we thank you all for listening uh, and being here with us to, to kind of get through. Um, if you like what you've heard this year and on this episode, you can uh, rate, review, subscribe. Um, it helps us tremendously and we really appreciate it. Um, 
If you are looking for more stuff from Dan or myself, you can follow Dan on Twitter at DJ Mecca. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. You can follow this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFSB Side. And uh, there are some good end of year stuff coming from the film stage. You can see all the end of year recap coverage, that kind of stuff. Um, it, by the time you're listening, if the top 50 of the year is not dropped already, it will soon. Um, so, so that's something to look out for as well in terms of some cool stuff uh we have some stuff happening in the new year that'll be really great we're going to be taking a little bit of a break but we're going to come back with some fun episodes uh in january if you've been listening we've been extremely fortunate to cap off the year with some really great stuff obviously Dion taylor um was super super lovely to talk to and we had our chat with alessandra novola recently that was also really great so you know it's been a year that i've been particularly proud of as we've kept this podcast going and we look forward to doing more cool stuff for you like that in 2021 that said everybody you made it through enjoy yourselves try and relax as best you can stay safe have a very happy holiday and a wonderful new year from us at the b-side